Amen. Yeah. Thanks, Tracy. Aren't we blessed with this guy? Yeah. Dude's a great leader who can just do it all. Man, what a blessing he is to this church. Hey, church, listening can be tough. It's one of the toughest things we do to listen, actually listen to another person. Like daily in the Fitz home, at least one of us blows it. Like we just miss it, right? Um, usually I, I miss that opportunity. I don't quite listen to my wife. I'm distracted. I'm not really listening to the kids or the kids don't listen to the parents or Jen on rare occasion doesn't listen to one of us. It's one of those things where as humans, listening is just difficult. It's hard. It's one of the most selfless things we can do to actually pay attention to another person, to put value on their words, to get over ourselves, beyond ourselves and tune in to what somebody else says. Listening can be tough. And we've all had those times when other people aren't really listening to us. They're nodding off. Their eyes have wandered. They're scrolling their phone. Some of you are like, what's he talking about me right now? (laughs) Um, We've had those times when people only listen to us because they're ready to speak in, rebut. They they want to get their words in. They're listening only to respond and not actually listening. And sometimes that's just difficult. We've all been the culprit at times. We do those things to other people. Sometimes we pretend to listen when really we're just distracted. And, you know, maybe you have been in one of those situations where you got yourself into some trouble. You pretended to listen or you weren't really paying attention and you agreed to something like, oh yeah, sure. And then you find yourself, you've committed money to something or you've committed time to something. When our kids were little, there was a day that I'd waken up early. I went out for a run. I came back and the kids were eating some food and watching some cartoons that I was pretty confident my wife and I had not agreed to let the kids watch and eat. And so when I asked them about it, they said, well, mom said it was okay. I'm like, really? When did mom say this was okay? And this is one of those rare weeks where Jen was sleeping in a little bit more that morning. And they said, well, we went and asked her this morning. I said, this, mom's not yet awake. What do you mean you asked her? Well, she said yes. So we enacted a new rule in the Fitz home that if mom is still in bed, whatever answer you get doesn't count because Jen likes her sleep and she is likely to give a quick yes to end the pestering and protect the slumbering. Any other moms, any dads out there? Like you get it, right? So like, unless mom is out of bed, fully awake, the answer doesn't count. Now, what's worse than that, though, than that oops of a yes that we get are the times when we have fully heard, we know exactly what we're supposed to listen to, and we've just ignored it. Years ago, about 23 years ago, when it was our wedding day, the doors opened to the worship center. I looked back. I saw my wife standing there with her dad. She smiled at me, and I began to cry. In fact, I began to weep. I wept the whole time Jen came towards the front because I just knew I'm not worthy. And it was this beautiful moment, and I think I won the heart of every woman there that day. I got the teasing from all the dudes. Uh, Later, at the reception, as we were walking up to our wedding cake for the whole, like, share the cake, cut the cake, all that stuff, Jen whispers to me, she says, now, don't smash the cake in my face. Okay, so when I got my cake, I gently placed it in her... I wish that's what I had done. Now, 
I don't know what I was thinking in that moment, but I'm confident that I did not realize how big that piece of cake actually was, especially compared to the size of her face. And I didn't realize how far my hand had smushed it on her face. I know for certain that I did not realize how big of a jerk I was being. And I had no clue that somebody had filled that cake with red filling that would drip onto the dress. All the women in this room, just like on my wedding, that's what happened too. I lost the heart of every woman in that moment, right? Especially the one heart that mattered most. Jen was restraining tears and I was pretty sure like she regretted what she had said just a couple hours before that. It was terrible. It was terrible. I wish I had listened better. Oh, man. There's not a lot of recovering from that. So let me just say this. As a word of caution to all the single dudes, you're a single dude out there. I don't care how young you might be. The younger you are, the more you need to listen to this. There might come a day where you stand in a similar spot with a woman. Whether she has said or not for you not to smash the cake, take my advice. Don't do it. Restrain yourself. Don't smash the cake. There'll be plenty of time to joke around another. Just don't smash the cake in her face. It's not worth it. Listen, we know listening can be tough. It's one of the toughest things we do. Listening to God can be tough. That's why our chapter of Quest 52, the journey we're on this year, a weekly pursuit of Jesus and a yearly pursuit of Jesus. That's why the question of the week this week is this, how do we listen to God? How do we listen to God? And it's a great question. It's one we all have to answer. And it's one we probably have wondered at some point. Are we really listening very well? And we know this is a big deal, right? This is why Jesus so often taught in stories Because it's a whole lot easier to listen to a story than it is listen to a lecture. It's easier to listen to a story than listen to a lecture. So Jesus taught in stories all the time. And that's why we're in a series we're calling Storyteller, where we are unpacking some of those stories Jesus told. And Jesus always had a point to it, always was trying to help us with that. But he starts all of those stories. He starts before he tells any of the other stories, with a particular story, a parable about listening. And we find that in Matthew chapter 13. Now, I want to set the stage for this story Jesus tells us. He's been out teaching and preaching and healing, and the crowds have been following him. He's been gaining more and more of a following. And the people whose lives have been changed love him. They are following him, and they're like, Jesus is the man, right? But then there are those who don't like anything Jesus had said because he is upending their power structure, their religious power structure. He's upended their social structures and they're not liking what he has to say. And so some of them are against him. Some of them hate him. Some of them have already plotted to kill him. And then you've got this other group of people who are just curious. They're not sure what to make them. Some are there to just for entertainment value, just looking into this, just looking on to the scene. Some of them are still trying to figure out what to make of Jesus. And 2,000 years later, not much has changed. We still have the lovers, the haters, the onlookers. Some embrace him, some dismiss him. But all of us must create a category of what we do with him. Every one of us has to figure out what we're gonna do with Jesus and the words he spoke and what it means for us. So Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 13. 
Later that day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. That sounds like a good morning. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. He sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. This is the genius of Jesus. People continue to gather around, and so he gets in a boat. He pushes out from shore a bit and creates a natural amphitheater. In this location, there would have been a gentle hillside, and the people sat on the hillside. They stood on the shore. The water acted as a natural amplifier for his voice. He didn't have a microphone like me, so he sat the people in a space like this, but he taught with a natural amphitheater. And he told many stories in the form of parables. Now, I wish we had all those stories recorded, but Matthew, in his wisdom, chose to share this one. So Matthew writes this for us. Listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they did not have deep roots, they weren't rooted, they died. Yeah, we got some rooted peeps in here. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, Jesus is here using exaggeration. Because if you were a farmer and you planted crops and you had 10 times as much grow, that would be a bumper crop. That would be an awesome reaping of what you planted, 10 times as much. So to have 30, that would be like, whoa, that's amazing. 60, it's like, man, you're crazy. 100, that's never going to happen, right? Like these people, his audience, his hearers would have been like, Whoa! They hear the exaggeration in his voice, in his story. And Jesus tells them, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, this scene would have been a familiar scene for Jesus' audience. In that agrarian culture, everyone would have seen a farmer scattering his seeds. Some of them would have been farmers themselves who understood this. They would have seen the farmer walk along a hardened, trodden footpath around the perimeter of their field. They would see the farmer grabbing the seed from the bag and tossing it out, scattering the seed into the field. They would have seen farmers removing thorns and thistles and weeds and rocks and at times chiseling the rocks to break them up and remove these boulders. And oftentimes as farmers would clear their field, they'd take the rocks and the weeds and stuff and they would throw that to the side of the field and then tend the soil that was there, scatter the seeds in it. This particular farmer is sowing broadly, not just tossing into the fertile soil, but he's tossing the seed broadly wherever it will land, even in the rocks, even in the weeds, even on the hardened footpath, and especially on the fertile soil. Again, the genius of Jesus. He's using pictures that these people were familiar with. He was using metaphors from their daily life, things they would have seen in the world around them. And Jesus borrows from the communication style of his culture. There was a Jewish literary style that used four. It it would use a comparison of four different things. Here, Jesus compares four different styles of soil. He's borrowing from the cultural elements and using that to speak his truth. He didn't create that style. He didn't create the form of parable. Parable was something that existed even before Jesus. He's borrowing these forms from the culture around him and using them to teach his lessons, kind of like what we might do if we 
leverage a song from our culture or we use movies to communicate God's truth. It's borrowing that same idea of Jesus, the things that we've seen around us, using those forms to communicate the truth of God. Well, his disciples get together with Jesus after he's teaching and they say, hey, Jesus, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Well, Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Oh, well, that's helpful. (laughs) What are you getting at, Jesus? Now, this word secret, we might better translate as mystery. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the mystery is being revealed. What has once been secret is now being made known. What was once mysterious is now being revealed. What was once hard to comprehend, you are now able to understand. And that's why Jesus spoke in parables. He did not speak in parables to confuse his listeners. He did not speak in parables to hide the truth or to shroud the truth. In fact, he spoke in parables to unveil the truth, to make it obvious to people, to reveal it. Friend, Jesus' parables are revelations, not riddles. That's why he spoke in parables. The nature of a parable, especially in that culture, was that it forced you to lean in. It forced you to listen up. It forced you to chew on what was being said, to digest it, to own it, to find your own place in the story, to find your spot there. It forced you to think through and then realize with that aha moment, oh, oh. Right? Like that's what the parables still do to us. So it's not just for an easy listening, but it's to lean into. But it's not to obscure truth. It's to reveal truth to us. So what's the secret to understanding a parable? Well, Jesus tells us the more we listen, the more we'll understand. He goes on. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening... Even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. The more you listen, the more you'll understand. At the beginning, it might not make as much sense. But the more you listen, and listening in that culture meant applying it. and meant applying the kingdom principles that Jesus was talking about to your life. Putting them into practice, living them out. The more you practice living the kingdom lifestyle he talks about, the more that lifestyle makes sense, the more those kingdom principles come into clear focus, the more you realize the blessing, the joy, the peace, the grace, the goodness of God behind all of the principles he talks about. Jesus continues, he says, this is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And here he begins to quote the prophet Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah 6, chapter 6, where God had asked whom he should send. Who, who will go for me? Who should I send for me? And Isaiah says, I'm here. You can send me. Like a good student in the front of the class. I'll do it. I'm willing. Got your answer, God. God says, all right, I'll send you. That's the prophet preacher to my people. And Isaiah says, that's great. What do you want me to tell the people? And Jesus continues on with this. He says, right, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. This is what God had Isaiah speak to God's people. When you hear what I say, you ain't going to understand it. When you see what I do, you won't be able to make any sense of it. For the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes. So their eyes can't see. Their ears can't hear. And their hearts cannot understand. 
They can't turn to me and let me heal them. In fact, we might better translate that, they won't. They will not turn to me. And if they won't turn to me, I can't heal. This is God's word to God's people through God's prophet. Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah. When Isaiah spoke these words, he was speaking them to God's people. When Jesus was quoting these words, he was speaking them to those who wanted to follow God. And this is a bit of shock therapy for these people. Jesus stops quoting Isaiah and then says this to his disciples. But... Blessed are your eyes because they do see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they did not see it. They longed to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. Now he's just finished quoting a passage from Isaiah, and Isaiah has said these things. Isaiah was speaking in the prophetic tradition. Other prophets spoke in similar ways. Ezekiel, Hosea, Jeremiah, they had challenged God's people to listen up because those people had hardened their hearts to God. See, their hearts were hardened, and they did not want to hear what God had to say. Church, let's pause here and make sure we are listening in this moment. This was not God's word for the outsider. This was not God's word to the other nations. This was not God's word to those who were far from God. This was God's word to those who claimed to be with God, following God, close to God, to be his very own. And he said, your hearts are hard. We need to make sure that we're hearing God's word for us, for any who claim to follow Jesus. This is a bit of a shock to our system. What are our hearts like? See, Jesus says, if you're not really listening, you won't be understanding. My word won't make sense if you don't listen and obey it. In this parable, Jesus is actually trying to get the people to soften their hearts. He's speaking to those who want to follow God, who claim to follow God, saying, but your hearts have got to be soft. Your hearts, you got to remove the calluses. you got to have good soil. He says, don't be rebellious to my word. See, for Jesus, and so for us, listening wasn't just a matter of hearing it wasn't just a matter of thinking. It's a matter of the heart, of surrendering our whole self to God by holding on to what he says, by, by putting it in practice, by, by grasping on. The listening is a matter of the heart. Jesus was Jewish. And so even though his words recorded for us in Matthew's gospel are written in Greek, Jesus most likely was speaking Hebrew. The, the language of the Jewish people. He was speaking Hebrew to his people. And, and here he uses the word for listen. What he would have said for listen or hear was most likely the Hebrew word shema. Shema. Say it with me. Shema. All right, even those of you online, say it, right? Everybody say it. Online, I'm listening to you. Say it. Shema. And shema means hear or listen. 
Now, this had been a familiar word to Jesus' audience, who were also Jewish people. And these Jewish people knew, like, the central teaching of the Old Testament. And for them, that's all they had at that point. The New Testament hadn't been written. Jesus was still alive. He's still teaching these things. And so their central teaching was Deuteronomy chapter 6, called the Shema. Named for the first word of that. That's often how they would refer to a passage of scripture was by the first word or phrase. And so Shema comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He is the only God. Hear, O Israel. And it went on from there. But they would recite this passage morning, middle day, evening. They were recited again and again. They knew this passage, the, the Shema, as it's told. Now, when Jesus says this, it's interesting because in Hebrew, you have a word for hear or listen, but there is no word for obey. It's the same word. Because to listen is to obey. If you're listening, then you'll do what you've listened to. And, and we get this. We know this. Any parents in the room, show of hands. Any parents ever look at your kids and say, listen up. Any coaches in the room? Coaches, you ever listen, look at your athletes and say, listen up? Any teachers in the room? God bless you, teachers. We pray for you this time of year. We love you. Thank you for doing what you do for our kids, right? Yes. But teachers, you know, you know, when you look at your class and you say, listen up, it doesn't mean just listen. It means I'm telling you something, your life better shape up differently because you've heard what I have to say. Every parent to a kid, every coach to an athlete, every teacher to students knows when you say, listen up, there is some piece of life change that must follow. You better do what I say or detention or running. I was a running coach, by the way. Thanks to all the other coaches who made my sport, your sports punishment, made it super easy to recruit. Every parent knows, like, detention and running, that is the least of what you get in this house. So you don't listen up, son. <laughs> like, we know listen up means you're going to do something with what you hear. And once you hear it, you are responsible to do it. You're responsible to put it into practice. So when Jesus says, listen, there's a do attached to that. <clears throat> what Jesus is getting at is that information is never the only goal. Information's not the end game. Transformation is. Transformation is what he's after. See, information only leads to transformation if we have application. If we don't do something with this, we will never arrive at this. And if you stand in front of Jesus someday and said, I know everything you said, he says, That's great. Why don't your life reflect it? What did you do with it? We stand in front of Jesus and say, My life looks different because I surrendered to you. And your grace. And you transformed me. And the only reason I stand before you is because you stood at a cross for me. That's what Jesus is after. This means that if we're going to follow Jesus, to be a true follower of Jesus, we not only need to listen to what he says, we need to do what he says. Jesus explains to his followers, to his disciples. It says, now listen, now Shema, to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and they don't understand it. 
Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Woohoo! But since they don't have deep roots, they're not rooted. They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this world and the lure of wealth. A couple weeks ago, we looked at what Jesus said about worry and wealth. We looked at it. We're now accountable to do what Jesus said. And if worry and worth crowd out his word, there's no fruit that comes. But the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and who produce a harvest. And here he goes again of 30, 60, or 100 times as much has been planted. Now, 30, 60, or 100 times produce in the field, that's outlandish. But in our lives, with the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's just par for the course. That's the expectation. So friend, what kind of soil is your heart? Because ultimately, that's the question of this parable. What's the soil of your heart? This parable that comes first in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three synoptic gospels, the gospel of John written in a different form, a different style, but these other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke written in a similar style, this parable comes first before all the other parables because this is really a parable about parables. It's a parable about how we listen to God. It's a parable that if we don't understand this one, we won't get the other ones because all the other parables that follow are all about the things that can crowd out God's word in our hearts, the things that clutter our hearts. And so we have to understand this parable about listening from the heart first before we get to the other parables. The other parables really won't make sense. And all the parables essentially are what life in the kingdom looks like, life as God's kingdom people. This is what we're pursuing. This, This is who we are. This is what the parables are about. So that means the parables are not just happy little stories with a good moral to them to show us how to be good people. The parables are not about being good. It's not what they're about. The parables are about how we live surrendered lives to the king of the kingdom and we're changed because of it. They're not about being good. They're about being godly. They're about living kingdom lives with the king on the throne. So friend, How is the soil of your heart? Asked a different way. How is your dirt? How is your dirt? The summer that Jen and I got married, I worked for a high-end landscaping company in the city where we live. And I worked on several different jobs for them throughout the summer and spent a lot of days, weeks on each one of those jobs. One of them in particular, I was the main guy to clear an enormous hillside behind a very nice home. It was a huge hillside and I was in charge of that and clearing trees and brush and thorns and rocks and boulders at times, chiseling these things and breaking them and getting others to help me clear it. It was laborious. It was painful. It was hot. It was sweaty. It was grueling. It was, it was nasty work, to be honest. And all to just prep the soil there for planting. But once those plants went into the ground and once those seeds went into the ground and they got watered, well, eventually, good things started to grow. Once they took root, eventually that hillside erupted in beauty. Beautiful blossoms and a variety of color. Some of them even lasting through the winter months. 
peeking through the snow. I took Jen, my wife, to see it at one point. I wanted to try to impress my wife that first summer. Look how hard I've been working. Look at this great job I did. You know, show her what I'd done and let her know that I actually wasn't just making up all the things I said when I was so sore when I came home those days. And she looked at it and she said, oh, it is so beautiful. I can't wait for you to do that in our yard. <laughs> now, those of you who work those kinds of jobs have known it's one thing to do that during the day when you get a paycheck. It's another thing to come home at night and keep doing the same thing, right? So let me ask, are we willing to put forth that same kind of effort in our own lives, in our own hearts to till the soul, to prep the dirt to receive God's word? Are we willing to put in the hard work? Because that's our responsibility is to prep the soil. Friend, what rocks and thorns need removed from the soil of your heart? Sometimes we need help seeing those rocks. All of us have blind spots. We will miss some of those things. That's why here at OCC, we're so big on grouping because we believe and we know that God created us for community. He created us to be able to speak into one another's lives and to receive word from one another that God sometimes speaks to us through one another. And and so that's why here in a few weeks, we're gonna have a group experience. We're launching groups on September 10th and I encourage you to be part of that. If you are not in a group, if you're not enrooted in one of our other groups, if you're not in a small group, you need to be because if you really want to engage as a full participant in the activity of this church and in the life of what God has for you, grouping is essential to that. If you don't have others speaking into your life on a regular basis, your discipleship will be stunted. You will miss out on part of what God wants. We need to have those people we trust. We need to have spiritual friendships where people speak into our lives. God has created us, designed us for community. We see that from the opening pages of scripture till the end, from Genesis to Revelation all the way through. We see it throughout the New Testament. We see it in Jesus' teaching. We see it in all the 50 plus one another statements in the New Testament of how we live life with one another. So we need this. But you know, sometimes we we need people to speak in to help us clear the weeds, to help us see the weeds, to help us remove the weeds. Sometimes we grow accustomed to the weeds. Sometimes weeds, we say, well, it's got a pretty flower. It's still a weed. Get rid of it. (laughs) And we need help with that. You ever noticed that weeds grow anywhere? This is soil. This is a chunk of hard clay-like soil. Not much is going to grow on this. Weeds will. Those obnoxious things that grow anywhere, they'll grow here. But the things you want to grow, they won't grow in this. So we've got to till that soil, tend that soil, make it better. And then we got rocks. Not a lot grows on rocks. Every once in a while, you drive down, you see those weird trees that grow out of the side of a cliff. You're like, how did that? I can't get you to grow in my yard, but you'll grow there. Thanks. So we've got to get rid of the rocks. We've got to soften the soil. Because what God is after is this. Good, rich, black soil. Fertile dirt. When was the last time you had dirt under your fingernails, friend? When was the last time you dug in the dirt in the good ways? We need to cultivate the soul of our hearts. You know, sometimes the thorns are too much for us to take on our own. They wrap around us. They choke us out. Sometimes the rocks are too heavy and we need help moving those. That's why here at OCC, we offer some specific kinds of groups. You'll find them. If you didn't pick one of these up today, you can grab one on your way out. 
But you'll find in here certain kinds of groups we call care groups, groups like Grief Share for those who are navigating the painful loss of someone you love, groups like PAL dealing with the addiction of a loved one because we know that addiction doesn't only hurt the addict, but it hurts all those connected to them. Groups like Turn, a new ministry we're launching to help us turn away from the toxic relationships and behaviors of our past to turn to God and allow him to do a mighty work in us. This is why next week, next Sunday, our women's ministry is hosting a night when life gets messy. There's a meal, there's connection with other women, and you'll hear some fantastic stories of some gals who've wandered through a mess And now God has turned that mess into a message. From the painful times of life, sometimes what God does is he takes all the manure from the mess and the pain and he turns that into fertile soil for something good to grow. Listen, gals, if you have not already signed up for this, you get your phone out right now and sign up. It's gonna be worth it. It's going to be a great night. I encourage you. Guys, if you are connected to a gal, encourage her to go. Do what you need to do to make it easy for her to go. And you can find more information and sign up at the next step spot out the lobby after this. You want to find more information on the groups, you go to the stone wall. Interesting, it should be a dirt wall today, right? We're telling you to go to a stone wall to talk about groups. Just think of it as a a dirt wall today. But find that out. But friend, let me ask, how's your dirt? See, the area of Illinois where I grew up, has some of the richest, most fertile soil anywhere in the world, some of the best soil on this planet. And, and it's amazing. I and mean, it's why they produce so much corn and beans and corn and beans and corn and beans. Corn, beans, and Abe Lincoln is pretty much all we had in the area where I grew up. But they have this rich soil and it's phenomenal. And yet, you gotta continue to cultivate that soil. Every year after the harvest, Every year as winter would transition to spring, you would see the farmers in the fields taking care of those fields. Because as good as that soil is, the winds and the rains of this world would continue to beat it and wash it away, blow it away. It would work against it. Erosion. New rocks would surface. Birds and winds would bring in seeds of weeds that would want to grow. Those farmers had to make sure the stuff that shouldn't grow in the field wasn't growing and the things that were supposed to grow would grow. And we know weeds will grow anywhere, man. Weeds will grow on this. Weeds will definitely grow in this. And so even with the good soil, we got to make sure the right seeds are there and the bad things are torn away. And that's what the farmers do. Friend, how about you with your heart? Are you tending to your heart? Are you making time to listen to God? When you pray... Are you doing all the talking? Or do you take time to sit still and listen for the voice of God? Do you lean into other trusted spiritual friends who can share godly wisdom with you? Do you read God's word and then do what it says? It's all about prepping the soul and putting it into practice. The times in my life when I've listened to God, when I've actually listened, when he said, care for that stranger, pray for that person, talk to that person who seems new or lonely, go to seminary, take that job, move to that city, marry that woman. The times when I've listened to God speak in my life have created some of the best moments of my life, moments I would love to recreate. Unfortunately, I have too many times where I tuned God out Rob was rebellious when I rejected his voice. 
when I was just too distracted and too busy amongst all the noise of this world to hear what God had to say. And those moments where I did not listen created the deepest regrets, moments I wish I could erase from my life. It took me four or five years before I stopped getting sick to my stomach whenever somebody would bring up the wedding cake. (laughs) I still get a little queasy, even right now. Regrettable moment. I should have listened. But mostly, Jen and I and those who were there, we can laugh about it now. Mostly because I've learned to love my wife much better since then in the last 23 years. I've learned to listen to her more and value what she has to say. And really, most of all, because I married a pretty fantastic gal who has a deep reservoir of grace, even for me. I think that's a lot like it is with God. The more we listen, the more the love grows. The more we put into practice what we hear, the more joy we find in life, the fewer regrets we have, the stronger the relationship becomes. So friend, cultivate the soil of your heart. Get in a group, get with others, get in God's word, listen to his voice. Cultivate your soil, soften your heart, and just begin to practice a little bit more doing what you hear. And then see what grows. God, we thank you that you don't give up on us. That even when our hearts are hardened towards you, you continue to speak to us. You continue to meet us. You continue to pursue us. That even at times when we stand in rebellion to you, with all the noise of this world crowding out your voice, all those weeds of life trying to grow up in our souls, God, you still... Come to us. And so we pray that by your strength and by your wisdom, we would cultivate the soul of our heart, God. If there are hardened areas to you, if there are calloused areas to you, we pray that you would remove the calluses. God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts, you would till that soul, that we would have eyes to see the the weeds, the thorns, the rocks that need removed stand in the way of you planting your seed. God, we pray that your seed would be planted deeply in us, that it would be rooted deeply in us, and that it would grow to produce a crop of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as what you've born in us. God, we pray this by the power of your spirit at work in us, that we would give you room to work in our lives. But God, we don't want to be blind to your word. We don't want to be deaf to your voice. We don't want to be hardened to you. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us hearts to receive. And God, through that, may we individually and collectively as your church, may what you produce through our lives change the world around us. And we pray it all for your glory, Lord. Amen.